Hey everyone, it's October 3rd at the time of recording. I am currently trudging through my ambitious serving of games, but the focus of this episode will be on Starfield and the meager 21 hours of playtime I have in it so far. It's fair to say while I'm enjoying myself exploring the galaxy, I might be in the mixed group of feels reviewing my experience of the game. Bethesda is desperately trying to squeeze every inch of life out of this engine, with it spinning rims and learning what direction NPCs should face during conversations. And while it does feel remarkably less buggy than Fallout 76, and I'd even say Fallout 4 from my memory, the phrase, it's a Bethesda game, is making rounds, and it's definitely a reality. And I think everyone owes it to listeners and everyone who might not understand what this exactly means to them. And I'll give you my spin as spoiler-free as possible. Before I get into gameplay, I just kind of want to kick some dirt on home plate about the graphics and performance in Starfield. I have this discounted on Game Pass, so I can't really complain too much about whether or not I'm getting my money's worth. It's everyone else who paid full price that I kind of pity, because I'm because I hope I'm not the only one who feels a little hosed. The game runs like crap outside of hallways and maybe even barren wastelands. I'm running the game at 1440p and I get 90 plus FPS in some areas. It's definitely not uncommon for me to see 120 FPS inside buildings thanks to a good GPU and an okay CPU. But then I step outdoors and get performance that makes my silicon regret it was ever manufactured. We're not even talking New Atlantis, like, like Luna, one of the first areas that you go to. I don't know how a barren moon of Earth can cause my FPS to drop into the mid-70s on average. The thing that kills me is while the game is maybe a step up when it comes to planets, you know, attention to detail on spaceships, landscapes, uniqueness is definitely a high point, it feels like Fallout in space. And I can't fault Bethesda for how great it looks in certain aspects, but it's definitely not hard to immediately see Bethesda's old brown paint underneath. Let's face it, if it isn't a shade of dull green, washed out grey, or the 50 shades of brown, I don't think it could be called a Bethesda game. You get to cities like New Atlantis, and it doesn't even make sense why this game runs like crap to warn the performance hit. I don't even know how to feel about the water, like it, we're not even talking about kind of meme physics interactions. It has some nice reflections to it, I'll give it that. But it has like a weird look to it, like they imported some kind of like Xbox 360 game asset. And then you see other places where they fully 3D modeled fruit and junk and board games. And you're like, cool. But then you walk by and you see some skin-faced mannequin NPC model that you're supposed to talk to. And you have to ask where the priorities were. Granted, all the NPCs don't look like this. And originally I thought it was just maybe like people who max out on VRAM on lower spec systems, until I saw one myself. We're not even talking about other ugly, bad looking PCs. Todd Howard basically just said, 
players may need to upgrade their PC for this one when it comes to performance. And that's so bad, like it's, it's true but for all the wrong reasons. Uh, since I'm talking performance and modeling, I have a question for everyone listening. Why is it in modern gaming, that we're talking like the last three years here, that talking to the like the upper body or maybe a headshot of an NPC puts GPUs into like instant toaster oven mode. Hogwarts Legacy, Baldur's Gate 3, and now Starfield, and I'm sure there's many more games that I haven't even put on this list, have me asking why a game is calling for like the highest resolution model possible, God Ray, ray tracing light reflected off those lifeless mannequin eyes when I'm doing inventory management in a game that never figures out that you need to cap FPS for inventory sorting. Maybe people with NVIDIA GPUs can check in here because it might just be AMD. Because aside from turning on AMD's chill feature to artificially hold back FPS, it feels like my CPU is no longer the bottleneck and my GPU just goes for the high score. It's actually kind of funny. Uh, I have a new graphics card that I exchanged after I think like a month. I used vendors in Hogwarts Legacy to kind of stress test my original uh, XFX, uh, Merc 10, 7900 XT, whatever, gaming edition, when I was determining whether or not uh, the paste was poorly applied on my GPU. I had sent it back. XFX was really cool about it. They sent me uh, a, a black edition back. And when I tested it, my deltas were definitely a lot better. So it was probably just like, who knows, uh, what's it called? Like runoff or spill out, whatever. The NPCs in Hogwarts Legacy was literally the third most graphically demanding section right after the main hall of Hogwarts, sprinting through Hogsmeade or whatever it was called. Even like the beginning, like the really nice uh, vista view of the cliff at the seaside from the intro, was less graphically demanding than talking to a random shop NPC in a field, like nowhere. So like I've gotten pretty familiar with setting AMD chill in, in a set range, but in Starfield you don't really get to use it effectively since I'm either making hundreds of frames or handfuls of them. I essentially just dropped my native settings down to stay in my monitor's VRR range, and I've just been trying to enjoy my time. I haven't installed the preview driver for uh, AFMF, okay, I'm, well, I might as well explain this now, uh, AMD's Fluid Motion Frames. Uh, it, it's a preview, and because of AMD's history of unintended bugs, and what looks like a preview of a subpar DLSS frame gen lookalike, I'm just probably gonna have to wait. Now listen, everyone in the history of time and space will, will ever, will forever throw crap on AMD for releasing the inferior product. But beggars don't get to be choosers when it comes to releasing open source, you know, driver level frame generation solutions. And it really sucks that it gets kind of like unlimited negative press for supporting what sounds like AAA titles and just gets sharded out as like a crappy game that implements FSR just so poorly. AMD frame generation and I guess like FSR 3.0 as a family of product was announced like whatever, 10, 11 months ago. And at the time it was like hype vaporware because it never came out. And then only now where they kind of delivered a preview and not the full thing. Uh, 
I don't know, I, I don't even want to call it a work in progress. It feels like it's work unfinished. That seems to primarily cater to controller play. Still makes me wonder why we're entertaining whatever vertical forward and backward frame generation in times where high-end PCs still struggle to hit high-end frame targets in 1080p, let alone 1440p. Like, I feel half the time with game development, on high-end PCs anyways, I feel like we're taking two steps forward and a blue shell over the rails in Rainbow Road back. I don't want this to be like a serious rant, but honestly, what is up with AMD partnerships picking the square-wheeled car when it comes to races? AMD has a slight advantage in out-of-the-box performance thanks to what sounds like architectural strengths, uh, and I don't know, Team Red is kind of just patting each other on the ass over it, but I mean, I can't. I, I think everyone's going to look at this the same way and say, well, what are we saying here? Is it Bethesda's optimization or is it their execution? Which of these is going under the bus? And I mean, in the end, it was the Howard telling everyone that it's their PC. And it's kind of for that reason that Starfield has kind of been like fourth in place in my playing priority. I was really waiting for FSR 3, or, or I guess uh, AFMF now, to level the playing field and get those higher frame rates. Uh, but instead, I feel like I should be playing with like modded XESS in the game, or just playing natively at 60 FPS. Now, I rip on the, the frame rates of this game, fully knowing that uh, in Baldur's Gate, I just got to Baldur's Gate City, and whatever, well, I was playing on fairly ultra settings, and now I'm getting like a stable 45 FPS. But I mean, for isometric RPGs where everything is slow and very methodically paced and spells are kind of instant and flashbang-like, like I can stand it. Starfield on the other, Starfield on the other hand is an FPS and people need to be reminded that 30 FPS is just playable. And it doesn't give me a lot of confidence that AMD's uh, FSR 3 launch titles were d just dead in the water. Like Forsaken, uh, Forsaken, yeah, the the game that was on uh, N64 and it sucked. It's definitely getting FSR 3.0. No, uh, for Spoken, which you know, wh who knows? It maybe just needs a little bit of uh, time-loving care. It, no, yeah, dead in the water. Uh, and Immortals of Avum, which let let's be real here, it really didn't look like that bad of a game. But how could you pick like a worse time than trying to compete with what I think now is like five outstanding titles? It sucks because I know their team just like basically got cut in half. And like initial looks at this kind of say like, well, it's good, but it still has like all the super glaring issues that FSR 3 really has. And it didn't really improve that much over FSR 2. Now, granted... I think it cleared up a number of issues, and aside from maybe like a little bit of shimmering, to like to me from a non-expert view, I think it looks okay. But I definitely say it's not at a polish that's similar to DLSS 3.5. But I can definitely say, as someone with uh, a handheld, uh, and I, I hope I represent all handheld gamers when I say we really want FSR 3 to kind of level level the playing field with NVIDIA's DLSS. I know it's a proper business strategy to have like the best product and be anti-competitive about sharing it. I just wish Intel and AMD would just 
join forces already and give us whatever EXSR or something. Something that takes the XESS's success in visual fidelity and AMD's stronger team of whatever upscaling and supporting features. But who long rant about performance aside, I definitely enjoy like the, the darker, maybe like spookier ambience that you get in Starfield that wasn't in Fallout. Maybe it's just them kind of nailing the mystery of space aspect. Uh, and I appreciate that as rarely as Bethesda deviates from just kind of like end of the world scenarios that this they actually do really well. But as someone who is really easily turned off by bad plot and will skip dialogue the moment that I can see that they just don't care and it's just filler dialogue, it's honestly as bland as it comes. And you see it the moment you step into the actual game where you're the new guy. Okay, here, here's the big spoiler. You are the new guy. And within five seconds, they teach you that lasers go brr. And, and three minutes later, you, and slow agonizing escort later, you basically transcend being a dirt farmer and they give you a spaceship before you're even 30 minutes into this game. You get kind of like the jot notes exposition about what's going on at every turn. And then you meet the league of uh, unextraordinary people who just want you to send you off to do the work they've researched but won't help you or tell you anything besides they put a quest marker down on your map. And I get the worst sense of deja vu only because it feels like I'm playing an expanded outer worlds with ship flying and a cop-out dialogue system. Like, do you remember Outer Worlds way back in, what is it, 2019? It was the crowning example when Obsidian Entertainment was like, Fallout, this is all you need to do to win out Fallout fans? Easy. And that was a year after Fallout 76 came out and Bethesda was like, they didn't even try to monetize storage. What a bunch of amateurs. I don't know when uh, Outer Worlds 2 is supposed to come out, but I think they announced it this year. That might be something to keep your eye on. Talking about dialogue, I, I mean, before, in the last podcast, and even up until I played the game, I initially thought the conversation trees looked slightly improved. <laughs> no, it's, it's so bad. Like, the conversation minigame is really disappointing. Because even if you pick, like, the easiest option, there's still a, a solid chance that you just screw up. And I'll never understand what it is with Bethesda games and committing to dialogue but thinking it's just kind of like a non-essential part of what is what a 200 million dollar game it really sucks that the depth of dialogue outside of yes no questions and crass is the skill check you're just like taking on a conversation by difficulty and half the time it feels like it, you don't get rewarded for playing it safe i feel like options are whatever repeated they don't even matter they don't even make sense if you, whatever order you string them in and like 90% of the time, I just, it feels like the chat was run through ChatGPT. I feel like I'm spoiled right now with Baldur's Gate 3. It's just like unbelievable how much attention I, I, I put into Baldur's Gate 3 and how much like my eyes roll into the back of my head playing Starfield. So let's stop talking about pageantry. Let's talk about gunplay. Ugh, gunplay hasn't changed. Okay, wait, let's, let, let's provide uh, the right context because I should be more specific to you who maybe haven't played a Bethesda game recently or just kind of saving yourself to start this later. <clears throat> if you've played any other Bethesda game, you already know how it plays. 
uh, maybe except for the fact that you can like jump and float and shoot while floating. In terms of combat, you, bad partner AI is still bad. Bad enemy AI is still bad. The game still rewards you for being an expert at ranged combat. That doesn't really change from any of the other games. Health kits are better than eating food. The fact that you could eat like six tons of food and not even get half your health back it doesn't make any sense. But I guess it was kind of the same as Fallout 76. The problem is it's just the gameplay is so Bethesda-like. And it's hard not to just say it's a Bethesda game without making a reference to like everything they've touched in the last seven years. The space combat is kind of like the half redeeming factor, uh, but I've played Star Citizen and as much as I've played the alpha of the spaceship battles in Star Citizen, it's nothing spectacular. You'd, you'd have a better time playing whatever Rogue Squadron. Wait, it's not even Rogue Squadron. I think it's just called Squadron. Whatever. It's it's good. It's very satisfying. The resource management is kind of interesting. Uh, sitting in the physical cockpit is another GPU toaster maker for some reason. I don't know. I feel like this is one of the few games where I don't have as much baby attention time padding in my playtime. Because usually my playtime is very brief. Sometimes I've been playing this on the ROG Ally just to try to enjoy it. Uh, but I'm partway into... Uh, the quest line, The Empty Nest, and most of my slow playing is due to a lot of crappy inventory management uh, and early exploring that I kind of regret now that I know how useless it is. Uh, it's the only open world game where I don't feel rewarded for deviating from the set path. It kind of just like straight up tells you, it's like, oh, well, you want to go to whatever, Omega 6? Yeah, you should probably be level 30 before you go here. And it's just kind of like, well, it's not really open exploration. And the planets are all just kind of like procedurally generated. And I don't know. I think for the first little while, I think I had more fun just kind of w walking up to vendors and finding whatever, <laughs> looting the puddle of unlimited ammo before they patched chests under the floor. I admit most people wouldn't think to just go out of bounds. The puddle on the floor being accessible is kind of, kind of excessive, but... Whatever, it's patched. People can play the game the way that it was meant to be. There's just one aspect that I want to talk about, uh, and that's kind of the state of the game. I find it difficult to find myself looking at the state of Bethesda games every time, leaving so much of the base quality of life, like things to be desired as kind of like after patch cleanup. Uh, AAA games never releasing a proper release date title. Uh, Bethesda is just kind of like status quo. It always makes me wonder how they get away with making people pay full price for modders to clean up their garbage. Like we're months past normie launch, uh, a lot of butthurt feelings about the game being AMD sponsored and yet experience a full FPS delta of what feels like 70 FPS with upscaling tech doing like nothing. It really just doesn't make me feel that special that I have uh, an AMD GPU on an AMD game. And like how do you justify, how do you explain modders who had Day one DLSS ready to go, you know, showing up much more visually impressive upscaling. You kind of have to like shake your finger at Bethesda and AMD and be like, get your shit together. Uh, this is too negative. Uh, I think I've given you a pretty good idea of what Starfield is like. It's absolutely a game I'm going to continue playing. Uh, but I think I'm going to wait for like optimization, field of view, that kind of stuff. 
let's segue into handhelds and news because I kind of want to talk about the Switch 2. Switch 2 speculation buzzing is still going on. Uh, the latest group of psychics and rumor mills uh, think that Nintendo is upping its game by getting uh, an NVIDIA GPU capable of DLSS 3.5 frame gen. Now, if you've seen anything on the mobile side, it's sort of a generation of accepting frame gen as the new reality. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the channel. I think it's like Jared's Tech, but he was demoing something like a 4050 discrete laptop GPU using frame gen to catapult like 30 to 40% more FPS at 1080p. And we're talking like Hogwarts Legacy getting 120 FPS on uh, performance levels of DLSS and ultra settings. Granted, you know, 1% lows were all over the place, but it's kind of neat. And it would definitely be the first time that Nintendo actually tried to be taken serious in the hardware world, especially not trying to use six-year-old technology. Again, it's all speculation, but judging from everything else we've seen, we know it's going to be 100% power package dependent how this thing comes out. If we think about the 780M, whatever, throughput, the FPE 16 and 32 being like, oh yeah, well, it's going to be as good as like a desktop 1660. It's like, get out of here. Like, it barely compares to a 1650 and even then, like, come on, let's, let's be a little realistic here. Again, though, we're talking Switch 2, and judging from everything else that we've seen, there was one interesting aspect. Uh, I do listen to, what is it, uh, LTT's WAN show, mostly because I like listening to Luke's kind of, like, sane side to whatever Linus's crazy side. And Luke definitely had some high ambitions or maybe dreams of what the Switch 2 should be like. Like, it should be a Switch with a docked eGPU stand. You know, it shouldn't be just another 720p upscaled from whatever to hit 30 FPS in games handheld. I just, I don't think I could take a Switch 2 seriously if it was just looking like games that were direct ports from the PS3. He got into one point which kind of made me chuckle. He uh, reminisced pretty hard about the Wii U controllers being kind of paramount to the experience. And, and I really get what he talks about. Him and myself are probably on the short list of people who really enjoyed kind of the low-depth gimmicks and kind of the interaction of the Wii U screen controller. Despite the fact that you kind of had to be like six feet away from the Wii U base station at all times. Games like uh, five-player Mario with the new Wii U, where like whoever had the screen was like the DM player. That was cool. Zombie U was like a very clever experience. It, it really, if it weren't for the fact that Nintendo absolutely phoned it in with like the initial launch screen, like the OS loading being garbage storage being like not even close to what is being necessary for that system, RAM just being awful, and the screen quality of the Wii U handheld following that, yeah, it should be indestructible for children, and realistically economics, but ergonomics, but that's kind of like a, you had to be in 2022 to figure out what real ergonomics was like. I think it would have been in a, a lot more of a positive position. What else? Uh, they were talking about the Legion Go having a, uh, let's call it a bump in the road, and that whoever was spreading rumors about the screen being a VRR panel was a bunch of liars. Uh, the, whatever, the, the lead person at Lenovo said that no one ever stated it was a VRR panel, which 
I don't think there was ever anything official saying that they did. Uh, but honestly, I don't think that should deter people from comparing it to the Ally. The 720U is definitely going to give a consistent frame rate uh, so that you can negate some of like the, the dips with FSR. And especially if you start considering, well, maybe the AI cores are really going to play into the 7840U's favor with FSR 3. Maybe that will keep the Legion Go just more relevant than the Ally, and it's what feels like budget bin chips. It's up for pre-order right now. In Canada, it's going for something like 950 bucks, uh, and a, a release date of November 1st. So it looks interesting, but it's kind of a big note for me. Speaking of the Ally, uh, reviewers have had their hands on the toned-down version of the Z1X, which I guess is just the vanilla Z1. And while the performance isn't bad, reviewers are kind of wondering who this device is for. If you're playing pixel indies, then fine. Yeah, 120 hertz, 120 FPS is going to be fine. If you want to play Sea of Stars, like Sea of Stars runs on your Samsung washing machine. And the performance is really better than I thought, but it's not that impressive given the price tag. And yeah, like Sea of Stars, you benefit from the games that just sip at the GPU and really want a faster CPU. Maybe if you want to play like GTA 5 and get 60 FPS, then sure. The other side of this though is kind of justifying why anyone would sell this at a $600 price tag. And like, who is the target audience? Are you really going for like the self-esteem ally wanters who want to save a hundred bucks? Just thinking that someone's going to pay $600 just to chase a, a budget VRR panel? I, I, I just, I don't understand. It's not released in Canada, and I'm, whoever is in charge of Asus Canada needs a raise and a handshake. I just think they need to take a look at performance and figure out wh who this product is for. Anyways, I think out of the two reviews I watched with ETA Prime, I, I gotta stop calling ETA Prime's review. He, he calls it a preview, but really it's just, I don't think ETA Prime has ever said anything ne negative. He could be like talking about the ROG ally and then like, find a rusty nail on his floor and be like, wow, I'm going to introduce this rusty nail. While it's not as fun as I'd hope, I'm certainly getting a lot of entertainment out of it and recommend everyone go out and buy a rusty nail. He's like, he's like the ultimate hype. And as much as I love that he gets his hands on everything, uh, I, I basically just take whatever he puts out at skin level. And then there's the other side, which is uh, Russ at Retro, Retro Game Corp. I think the most positive thing that he said was indie and pixel 2D games really enjoy that big CPU and just kind of like a good GPU. Uh, and I mean, emulation too, let's not beat around the bush. Battery life should improve in some manner uh, due to the, I don't know, less idle chip to power. And I mean, I can kind of touch on performance because at the very least, ETA Prime had some kind of like unexplained ports of 5 performance where he was getting 7 where he was getting 70 FPS in the Turbo Profile. I mean, that's commendable, uh, but really that same power envelope would probably get you way much farther on the Z1X. He also didn't show what settings he was at, so he could have been playing in full FSR, as far as I know. But I mean, like, even before, like, the ROG Ally, I, I kind of specifically said, I'm not saying that it's, like, my pessimistic outlook, but I think a lot of current titles uh, for this device, you're really targeting like the PS4 era of ported titles. And if you aren't looking at newer titles that are being ported, that aren't being developed for, you know, Xbox Series S, uh, I say the Switch, but that's such like a, that's like 
saying that you're planning a simultaneous release on high-end graphics cards and the newest graphing calculators. I just don't see the Z1 being a success, especially considering the fact that I bought my open box unit for what is effectively, what, $520 US? And to top that, and to top it all off, you from like US Best Buy, it looks like you can just buy any open box unit and like they'll ship it to you. So I don't know, I, I think Z1 is going to be getting a, a super discount or it's destined for the clearance aisle. Uh, I had a friend comment, because he listens to the, the chat, uh, asking why I don't talk more about the Steam Deck, uh, and why, you know, maybe games maybe need to refocus on 720p and being more accessible for gaming on handhelds. Uh, I know we really haven't seen that much recently, and it really takes kind of like a new perspective to realize that even like Dave the Diver in like the underwater city uh, couldn't even sustain 60 FPS. Now I know there was like an efficiency patch that, that might have like boosted that up quite a bit, but I think a lot of the new titles, especially anything that's coming out, just doesn't even think the Xbox One exists. Like it precludes a lot of titles from being what would normally be acceptable 30 FPS fodder for the deck. But I think Valve and company are putting through uh, a nice refresh and maybe looking forward to a, a big revision. Um, I just think that the deck is probably going to get the best position that has ever been with 3.5. I know they're integrating a lot of like the system tools that were originally included in decky tools. Uh, the overclock and undervolt was definitely out of left field. I definitely love the fact that there's such low overhead uh, in Linux and SteamOS and just kind of like the power and customization you would get on the deck or even on like Windows handhelds running SteamOS would definitely just kind of bring you up additional tier of performance. I'm just hoping that they keep up the development of SteamOS and kind of leave it out as like a broad platform. I, th I think that's the pipe dream. But anyways, if anyone from the SteamOS development team or anyone who develops for the Steam OS platform, I don't know, keep it up. Keep up the good work or, you know, make SteamOS just work natively for 7840U handhelds. I'm looking at this and I'm just realizing that I put this out of order. Because I think I was supposed to be talking about this closer to the ally before I kind of went on a rant about the Steam Deck. Uh, I finally received my GPD Win 4. Uh, I was in the first batch that they sent out. And luckily, uh, I, nothing bad to report actually. She's a beaut, but she's also a, a hefty brick. Uh, I, I got the 512 gigabyte SSD model, uh, 32 gigabytes of RAM, uh, 7840U in black. I immediately swapped out that base 512 SSD, uh, which was uh, an SN740, I think it was. So like, they definitely didn't send some kind of like no-name brand, which I was definitely impressed about for being a proper like low-power SSD. And I've had the chance to play with it for about four days after tinkering. But initial impressions is, is kind of nice. It's not as small and hand crampy as some people kind of like made it out to be with bigger hands. I, I do think that the sticks are on the small side, but I don't think it's too bad unless you're really like intending on doing just uh, FPS gaming on this. I, I kind of had a long time to wait on this because three months is a long time to pre-order any device. Uh, but just based on the fact that people were complaining that 
people with bigger hands were gonna have cramping problems. Uh, I bought these like Shapeway grips uh, <laughs> for what they cost. I think after shipping, I think it was like 80 bucks Canadian. Uh, I was like, these things had better be amazing. Uh, and they're so good. I, I wish there was like a, a nylon option instead. And I know I probably would have had to pay 20 bucks more or whatever instead of the third step up in plastics. But with the Ally, uh, I bought some fat grips off Etsy, uh, which were okay, but it's just like, I didn't, f I felt it was like too much. I think I needed a little more thin grip. Uh, so I'm getting kind of like a little bit of a thicker case with uh, Skullco. But those grips that I bought for the GPD win, like they're so good. I, I don't know if those things are ever gonna come off. It came pre-shipped with uh, eight gigabytes of the VRAM allocated and honestly still having 24 gigabytes of RAM after the fact uh, is worth its weight in whatever I paid in Hong Kong dollars. Uh, it was very expensive for a handheld. I used essentially what I earned from travel and wedding purchases on my credit card uh, to get cash back on my visa to subsidize my $1,100 handheld that only has a six inch screen, 60 hertz, and unfortunately, if I ever have to do anything with warranty, it'll probably be at least $100 to ship it back to China to be claimed. But I mean, like, let's talk about the positives. Like, having a slide-out keyboard, a minimalist in minimalist tuning software that doesn't really meddle at anything, a wind controls software that doesn't need 400 updates that just covers basic functions, doesn't need to be a launcher. Probably part of my favorite is, like, the Discord community, it, it isn't just like Reddit where they post like, I hate Asus, or like completely repeat ad verbatim, what VRAM size should I pick? This device really keeps me satisfied. I did just kind of like do a little bit of stress testing, uh, played GTA 5, uh, I ran Starfield for just a couple minutes to see what the performance was, and then eventually did comparative benches to see that uh, GPD's 7840U uh, seems to be far more balanced in Time Spy benchmarks at 28 watts. If you don't know, on the ROG Ally, uh, it, 9 times out of 10 if you disable the CPU boost, uh, the GPU scores increase because it's able to allocate more power to the GPU. On the Win 4, it actually stayed relatively the same, just my score plummeted just because the CPU wasn't getting enough power, which is weird considering it was still at the same TDP. But over the next little while, I'm probably just going to juggle between the two to see which one I like best. Or, I don't know. I could keep both because they both have their advantages, and who knows. But the reason why that I probably might move to that uh, is I stole my Steam Deck to a friend who was interested in handheld gaming. Because in like the 40 days that I had my ROG ally, I literally haven't gone back to touch my deck since. <laughs> I haven't gone back to touch my deck. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I had no inappropriate deck touching. I uh, made sure to keep my deck behind my zipper. My deck is very big in my hands. Anyways, uh, I hope he enjoys it as much as I did, uh, and I hope it gives him all the insomnia it creates. It really hurt a little bit to let it go because it was like it was such a successful device, and I have so much positivity towards it. It's a fantastic entry-level device. Uh, like I said before in the previous episode, my brain is kind of like maladjusted to the ROG Allies VRR screen. And even the Win 4, just like the simplicity of it being 
a Windows device that I've kind of accommodated now. I just don't think it's ever going to get used. I just got to figure out whether I like big shiny screens or uh, the redeeming qualities of a handheld that isn't just an April Fool's joke. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's update on Backlog Hell, uh, and then we can talk about just a couple new and upcoming games. Uh, I'm a healthy 20 hours or so into Sea of Stars uh, as my play before sleep game, uh, and while my buy recommendation hasn't changed, I do feel a bit swayed by the progression of the game sometimes. You hit areas where monsters are worth like 10% of your level by the time you beat the battle. I don't know whether it's some kind of like presentative measure not to fall behind, but not also super power level past whatever area is coming up next. The one thing that I hate though is stat growth is so flat, it only feels like the, the stat worth taking is HP and mana. I made a comment about wishing the game would zoom out as you're just kind of like too far zoomed in, uh, and I found in a lot of places uh, some battle abilities will, will throw your character outside of the screen, uh, which makes it super awkward to get timing done correctly on... Uh, oh, I'm never going to remember the character's name now. Oh, is it Sarai's? Sarai's like dagger throw? There's been a couple times where they've placed the, the portal at the top of the screen and you kind of like float out of the screen hoping that you can make the timing work. It's also kind of weird when you get into situations where... Uh, there's like mobs with like eight damage squares to match or erase, and I find it more and more unlikely to interrupt those certain mobs or, or like satisfy them in three or less turns. Uh, it's still fun. It's still a great nighttime game for me. Uh, it's a great art JRPG for me. Uh, it's an example of why 120 hertz handhelds are fantastic, aside from the fact that it's very, uh, you know, with sunshine and rainbows, we can accomplish anything kind of plot. Uh, but it's interesting to see where this goes. Uh, on my RG ally, you can get 120 FPS fairly steadily with just like a little bit of dips using uh, an 8 watt TDP. And just funny enough, just because like the, the, the RG ally has problems if you go below uh, 8 watt TDP, uh, but you can use AMD Chill to set the bottom threshold to 50 FPS, uh, and you start getting down to like 7.2 watts of TDP which actually gets you closer to like four hours of battery life. It's pathetic, but I mean, it's probably the best that most people are gonna get in an actual game. Uh, Baldur's Gate, hey, still number one in my heart. I still haven't skipped any dialogue in this game, which, I mean, if you spoke with anyone I know, it's either like a point where I need to be committed or lightning has struck five times sort of scenario for me. Uh, everyone, as far, you know, the farther you get in, everyone and everything is in further turmoil. I honestly can't bear to see this game end. Uh, in Armor Core 6, I kind of hit a difficulty hill, uh, but From Software assures me that I am just bad and I need to get good. I knew I was in trouble the moment I thought I should probably go back and redo the tutorial missions so that I can get money and kind of outfit my mech and just try everything because I suck. Uh, if you go on YouTube, there's a user called uh, Ongball, who does all those like damage list clears from all the From Software games, like the machine they are. Uh, it's fun to see what they're using half the time. And sometimes I like try to copy his builds, uh, but who knows, I play with my half drunk reaction times. It's, I have to make do with what I have. M my my go-to set is double Gatling gun, laser sword, and a shotgun in a 
mech that I like to call the Fat Fairy. Hefty body, floating in circles, full auto-fire. Let's talk about new and upcoming games. Uh, Lie of P, Lies of P is out, and for what they're calling a Pinocchio Souls-like, but only because, I don't know, it has puppets and they use the same names? I'm just... Yeah, I don't, I don't know why they called it except puppets and names. Whatever, let's just keep going. Initial reviews are positive. Uh, the setting in combat seems really interesting, but unfortunately I won't start a new game unless I'm really committed to dropping another game in the process. I will also admit that I never finished uh, Wolong Fallen Dynasty, but I don't know, I might not go back to that one and just jump into this. Uh, they already announced a new Wolong game, but whatever. Game Pass Roulette, spin that wheel. Payday 3 is officially out uh, and was down for like the first three days. I got to play in the stress test beta, which it was pretty promising, uh, but, but I mean like I played it and I put it down and then I had to wait for three days to get into a uh, single player match by myself uh, before being unable to finish the stage because I kept clipping through the truck and I couldn't loot the safes. I'm definitely going to be waiting for stable updates and all I can say is it's payday one with better graphics. I feel like I get a lot of deja vu and like a big realization that it's another game that follows the Left 4 Dead, you know, Back 4 Blood formula where it's really, really, really better with friends because bad AI. Uh, I have it on Game Pass, but that's actually a bad thing as Payday devs have already laid out its year one DLC expansions. The game only costs, what is it, 40 bucks US? But I, I definitely think you need to see the value of only having 60% of the game available before selling people 20 DLCs in its lifetime. The scary part is they threw their matchmaking service under the bus uh, during those launch day interruptions and they said they were going to implement offline, I think it was like Aspects or something. But honestly, it's what a dick move. Like, I think that's kind of crazy, like knee-jerk reaction for uh, an Xbox Game Pass game. Outriders had this exact same problem, but people can fly were not just like, yeah, just screw my matchmaking title. I don't think the their reaction was the same. And I think that says a lot about a company. So yeah, it's not really gonna get a big vote of confidence from me, uh, but because it's in Game Pass, I'll probably try it from time to time. And again, it's definitely gonna be a title that you're probably gonna wanna wait for a game of the year complete edition kind of deal. I was originally gonna talk about Mortal Kombat 1, but the Switch graphics were just so meme heavy. I think I think it kind of explains itself also, I've kind of fallen out of the fighting combat, so really what I want to do is talk about a VR title. You know, those things that you used to put on your face to escape reality? Uh, well, I expect you to, to die 3 uh, dropped at the end of September, and as someone who's a big fan of 1 and 2, uh, I, I just watched the intro, and like <laughs> their comedy is always so on point. I hope they never stop making... Uh, I expect you to die games. It is so refreshing to just always see their interactions. I hope even if like VR dies and like n they never want to do it again, I, I hope they just like keep making titles like like an FPS puzzle game. I have this one already on my wish list, but I don't think I'm going to have to wait too long before it ends up on my gaming library or I guess gaming backlog. So here's a jump cut. Uh, I stopped to look at what was coming out and holy, 
I can't believe I forgot about Cyberpunk's Phantom Liberty. Uh, I only have the uh, the, the pre-patch installed because I didn't buy the DLC yet. I updated my Cyberpunk because I never beat it. And like most open world games, that's kind of my sad reality. I basically got to a point where I was just like an elite wire ninja with moon boots and an SMG that overloads people's brains. And it kind of just ruined the challenge of the game for me. But I kind of want to take another stab at it because like, you know, off and on I popped into this game all the way through to update 1.6. I do just kind of want an ex a consistent experience in this game. And I kind of really want, uh, what is it, AFMF to be implemented properly. Just so I can play with ray tracing on properly. That's, that, that's all I want. I know, and I say that because when they upgraded to the game to utilize eight CPU cores, it wasn't just a, hey, you know what? We've optimized the game just in case you need that extra performance. It's like, listen here, kids. Unky Howard said, upgrade your PCs and move on from your speaking spells and your 9900Ks at 5 gigahertz overclocked and get that entry-level 7800X3D for 1080p high preset. I ran a benchmark with my previous settings and I was like, phew, I'm safe. I'm still getting like 113 FPS with basically everything on ultra and high, no upscaling, no DRS. Uh, and then I loaded into my last save where I was met with 71 FPS with 59 FPS in my 1% lows and in combat. And yeah, I'm going to have to wait. At least there's mods that let you put FSR 2 in the game. But I think once it gets into a good position, uh, I'll just buy the DLC and then just do a fresh play. Uh, I don't doubt every reviewer is hot for the game and is quickly mocking Starfield for not having two pandemic years worth of time to polish an update, uh, but already I have too much on the go as is. But as this is the last major update Cyberpunk is expecting to get, uh, you know, it, just do Idris Elba a favor and buy this DLC and then download all those sexy time mods that you're going to be able to get for Idris Elba's sake. That was a pretty big episode. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for me. Uh, I have some serious work to put in over the next four weeks or so uh, in real life. Uh, so we'll catch up later in November when I'm slightly more sane uh, and I can come back with maybe a refreshed perspective uh, and at least one of my backlog titles concluded. Uh, October isn't a uh, lightweight in terms of release titles. Uh, I think we have like Alan Wake, uh, Super Mario Wonder. Oh, yeah, of course, now that I'm looking at this. Konami is going to release, uh, oh, I guess, Milk, Kojima's hard work for every penny that's worth. Uh, and in his honor, I will not impulse buy any of the Master Collections uh, and continue just to play my pirated copies. I think that's what Kojima would want. I mean, sorry, my backed up onto handheld copies. It's kind of annoying that they don't even have Metal Gear Solid 4 on this list because everything else is just emulation fodder. Hey, I find it kind of hilarious that Snake Eater on the Switch uh, is 720p 30fps, which for a PlayStation 2 game that sounds kind of awful. I don't know why I'm keep. I don't know why I keep beating this dead horse. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe the horse's owner is too busy uh, still announcing games for its handheld to talk about the Switch 2. Now that I'm talking about it, I see that this is just Volume One. So I wonder if 
Metal Gear Solid 4 is going to be in Volume 2. And like, what else would they include with it? What, what other Metal Gear Solid games could they put in there? So there's like uh, Peace Walker, Portable Ops. Maybe they're going to release the Twin Snakes version of Metal Gear Solid 2. Uh, trick people into buying Metal Gear Survive? <laughs> yeah, no. I think I'd rather replay all of the, the Nintendo Metal Gear games. So why don't we call this an episode? Uh, thanks for tuning in. Feel free to hit me up at truesliderdgaming.com or, you know, stay tuned and hang out with me in the next episode. Once again, this is Game in Hand. My name is Dan. Catch you all next time.